This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 11 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, the cloning episode with Viagen. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell or hot water while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. This is Glenn the Geek from Lexington, Kentucky. And that silence was Helena B. from Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Unfortunately, Helena has lost her voice this week. And was a, when I talked to her this morning, she had a little more than a squeak left. And I am sure that Helena not being able to talk is just driving her nuts. Because one thing Helena likes to do is talk. Although I spoke with her husband briefly, and he is enjoying it immensely. But the show must go on, and we've got a fantastic show for you today with two of the most knowledgeable guests on the subject of cloning in the country. But first, I wanted to let you know that uh, you don't want to miss next week's episode as we explore how to deal with hard economic times when you're an equine business owner. So be sure not to miss next week's show as we have some of the leading experts in the area of marketing your equine business and surviving these hard times. So be sure to check in next week as well. All right, uh, now on to cloning. Let me give you a little background on how we got into this topic. A couple of episodes ago, there was a news article on a clone of Gem Twist being born, and that led to a discussion between Helene and I on the whole subject of cloning. I really have mixed feelings on cloning, but Helena is was definitely opposed to it. So we we had a we had an interesting discussion in that episode. Well, that episode caught the attention of Viagen, and that's the company that cloned Gem Twist and does all the horse cloning here in the United States. They wanted to come on and show and explain the science behind cloning and how it is done and the ramifications of it. We thought it would also be a great time to bring up some of the objections to cloning, some of the problems that people have with it morally, and and just some of them, I believe, just not understanding the science behind it and exactly what's happened. So our first interview today, we speak with Blake Russell, who is the Vice President of Business Development for Viagen. Blake will speak to us about the scientific side of cloning, as well as how it relates to horse owners and breeders and and horse businesses. Then after the interview, I'm joined by one of the most knowledgeable horse breeding people that I've ever spoken with. I spoke to him for the first time the other day, and his name is Joss Mottershead from a company called Equine Reproduction. They are one of the leading experts on horse reproduction in this country, and he'll help us round out the conversation on cloning after the interview with the Viagen people and from the perspective of someone who deals in traditional equine breeding methods. So I'm looking forward to that as well. I hope at the end of the show today that we learn more than we knew before about cloning. That's the goal. And that we dispel some of the myths one way or another 
and that we also can use this information to form an educated opinion. You know, and I speak for myself, too. I'm not sure how I feel about this subject. I I really do see both sides of this story. Um, So I think it's just important that we we listen with an open mind, and I'm going to ask some of the tough questions. I'm going to bring up a lot of the objections that people have, and we'll see where it goes from there. So let's get on with our first guest. He is Blake Russell, VP of Business Development for Viagen, which can be found at viagen.com. That's V-I-A-G-E-N.com. They're the leader in horse cloning in America. And we are, I, I did want to note that we're having some internet trouble this morning, so I'm, I'm hoping that that doesn't cause a problem with the interview. We'll do the best we can here. Hi, Blake. How are you today? I am great, sir. How are you? All right. We appreciate you being on with us today. What happened was a couple of weeks ago, we had we had an article that we did, a news story that we did on the show about Gem Twist's clone. And that actually led to a few emails, and people seemed to be definitely have an opinion one way or another on this subject. And what happened also was a person from your office contacted us and said, hey, can we come on the show and explain exactly how it's done because Helene and I ended up in a little bit of a heated conversation because she's definitely against cloning and I said sure that would be great let's have let's have somebody from Viagen on and 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 try and get the facts out there so people can decide for themselves excellent that sounds great all right so let's start at the beginning what is cloning how does it work what's the science behind it so if, if you think back 10 years ago most of us know about the cloning of Dolly the sheep the technology that we use is actually the developed technology that was used to produce um, Dolly the sheep. And what that is, is we can take a somatic cell. So any adult cell um, in your body carries all of the necessary genetic information, right, to replicate your genetics or your genotype. Um, so the way that the process works is we take a um, from the, the animal being cloned. And again, every cell in that biopsy represents the genetics of the entire genetic piece of that particular animal, even though that particular cell has itself to become connective tissue or muscle or skin. Um, it still has the entire genetic information in, in each and every cell. And so we have the ability to take those cells, preserve those cells in culture, and then we can take the, um, the DNA from those cells, place it into a blank oocyte or an unfertile egg. And the reason I use the word blank is because we enucleate, we take the genetic information out of that oocyte. So it's now a blank egg. All it has is the energy and nutrients to develop into an embryo. We place the genetic information from the somatic cell from the original into that oocyte and then place it into a, um, a set of chem to give it um, messages that cause it to believe it's been fertilized. And the amazing thing about these cells, DNA then has the ability to reprogram itself from whatever type of tissue that it was. It reprograms into, aha, now I'm an embryonic cell. And then it starts to grow and develop as a normal fetus. We place that into a recipient mare and 330 days later or or the gestation of a horse, we end up with a... um, uh, a genetically uh, animal to the one that that uh, the original that we took the biopsy from. So does it? Ma- it doesn't matter what cell, what part, you know, where where the cell comes from on the donor. It does matter. Um, every cell um, in the in the body carries um, every some 
carries the full um, necessary genetic information. If you remember, in fact, Dolly was actually cloned from a cell from the mammary gland of the sheep. We have our best luck from um, biopsies that are taken that include um, connective tissue and muscle. And so we take a very small biopsy from the neck of the horse, typically under the mane, um, and after of a week or so, you can't even tell that the biopsy has been taken. And typically, it is the um, fibroblast cells, uh, the connective tissue that grow the most effectively in our medium. And, and ultimately, that's what we produce a cell line from and, and preserve. And that cell line that we preserve, we can take that right into cloning and produce um, an embryo for genetic or we can preserve that cell line in perpetuity, and we have a significant number of clients that just ask us to take the biopsy. We then produce a cell line, and we preserve that, and that'll be available for any time in the future should they decide to clone that particular animal. When did when Blake? When did this cloning actually start with horses? So, um, Professor Golly at a university in Italy cloned the first horse, and I believe that was about five years ago. Um, Viagen produced our first horses um, in, uh, we actually announced our first um, live falls in February of 2006. Um, the only other group to have ever successfully cloned horses, Texas A&M University. And today, Viagen are the only group that are actively cloning horses um, for the public around the world. Okay. And you guys are out of Texas, right? We are. We have a, um, a laboratory in Texas. We have a laboratory in Kansas. And we have uh, a laboratory in, in a, mainly a sales office in Mexico. I have a lot of questions here, and I know there, there's a lot to go through. Uh, and a lot of this involves, you know, some of the objections that have been brought up in the past and, and, and some of the things that people are discussing now on the forums and, and all of that kind of thing. So as far as the mechanics are concerned, we take that cell and basically we, we combine it with, with an egg, so to speak, correct? Correct. Okay, and then it gets, it gets planted in a mare that carries the foal to fruition. Correct. Is the mare, does the host mare have any factor at all in, in the development? of? I know it has a factor, a little bit of a factor. I guess we're getting the genetics or, or the whole uh, topic of conversation of the environment. But is there any factor, does that mare have any factor in, in the maturity of the foal? Um, the, so the recipient mare, just like in normal embryo transfer, well, as, you, as you said, certainly in providing um, you know a reproductive system that's a healthy, um, satisfactory place for the embryo to grow, for the fetus to grow and develop, and then certainly she plays a role in her milking ability and care and nurture that pre- she provides to the uh, foal. Genetically, the recipient mare does not offer anything to that developing fetus, just like she doesn't with uh, the transfer. But she's a very important part of the process. We work with a, a provider who has more than 2,000 recipient mares, and we select recipient mares that are sized appropriately for the size of foal expected based on the type that we've been cloning, um, as well as mares that are reproductively sound and are of a proven record of being good mothers. Who is your customer right now? Who is the one that's coming to you? One, and it's, this isn't cheap. It is not, it is not cheap. No, no. So, and you know, we're talking six figures here from what I've read. Am I close? You are correct. 
Okay. We charge one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. All right. So these are serious people who are coming to have their horse their horses cloned. So what 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 is the customer you're seeing now? So we we have clients from literally from all over the world. I, I would say we've cloned horses for people from eight or ten different countries, um, and and we have more interest from other countries uh, each and every day. The client that comes to us, client who owns a um, a superior performance animal that maybe was a gelding and they don't continue to breed that animal and so they're interested in preserving those genetics and using those for breeding and so they would produce a clone foal of that gelding that would obviously be a stallion um, and then they would raise that animal for breeding or possibly um, a tremendous broodmare that had demonstrated a great ability to pass her superior genetics onto her offspring. We have a number of people that we would clone for um, those types of animals, as well as today, we are seeing more and more animals that are more and more owners that have great performers that are interested both in the possibility of uh, using that animal for breeding, as well as at least interested in the possibility of using that animal for performance as well. Can you actually clone an animal that's deceased? Uh, well, we we cannot collect tissue from an animal that's deceased. Okay. So once we have the biopsy, then again, that animal could be time in the future. Um, but we do need to take the biopsy from a, from a live animal. Okay. So if they haven't planned ahead and and the animal dies, then then they're out of luck. In fact, it's it's one of the most um, difficult things that we face. That I get multiple calls every week from people who have just lost maybe the greatest horse that they've known in their lifetime, right. and they want to know what can we do. And, again, it's something that you need to plan for in advance. So have you found that the objections to this are lessening over time, or is it becoming more accepted, or you still have the, critics, the, the same number of critics out there? Of course, you know, my world um, isn't particularly balanced between, between those that are in favor of and those that are against. Right. Of course, the people that are in favor of are the ones that are calling me the most right, often. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I give presentations um, actually around the world and, and uh, talk to a number of different people, and I'm finding very few objections among horse people. Um, so people that have actually been involved in breeding programs, that think about their breeding programs, I get very few objections from those kinds of people. And have any of the associations yet signed on board? I think I just read something about the National Cutting Horse Association. Well, so the the National Cutting Horse Association, they do not require a particular registry of the animals that compete in their events. And so they've, of course, said, well, then certainly clones are welcome to compete in those events as well. Um, They also have any unregistered. A registered horse can compete in those same events. All they're concerned about is that the horses are of the appropriate age. There are a number of registries in Europe that register sport horses. In fact, several of those made announcements um, this last year about clone foals that we delivered um, that, um, you know, they were very famous horses. The originals were famous horses in their registry. So they're very happily announcing um, that they now have these clone foals that they would expect to become part of their registry. A number of the sports also include an inspection to become part of their registry. And so there are a number of clone foals that, you know, as they grow and develop and are available for inspection would be expected to be added to those registries. And then we have active um, dialogue with other major registries like the American Quarter Horse Association and others that currently don't register 
but are looking at certainly trying to educate themselves and see to it that they're informed so that they understand um, what the implications of registry would be. And again, we're cloning many of the greatest horses around the world, and so there becomes a compelling reason for registries to at least consider. So Yeah, and I, I think that I actually had an email conversation with the Quarter Horse Association, and, and they basically said, well, it's up to the members, and they think it'll come up for a vote again at their next meeting. Uh, I think I think you know I don't know exactly how they make uh, uh, rules within the registry, but uh, definitely, for example, I met with just last week a group of about 30 um, members of the AQHA that are part of their stud book and registration committee, and they also had some uh, academic um, scientists there to inform them as well. And again, I think that dialogue went very positive, and. You know, most of the people that, that have studied cloning and, and think about the potential benefits of cloning, including the independent scientists that come in and speak on their behalf, you know, they, they see this. Again, there's tremendous opportunity and very little um, downside associated with technology. Have we had any how, – how long have we been cloning horses? So um, from, prof- from, from Professor Golly's first horse in Italy, I'd say we've been cloning horses for about six, five, six years. So we haven't had any that have lived out a full life at this point. No, that's correct. Okay. And uh, so the question always comes up, will they have the exact markings as the, the donor? One would not expect them to have the exact markings of the donor. Um, so coat color is something that's under genetic control. And so the clone foals will have the same coat as the original. So if it's a gray, it'll be a gray. Correct. Okay. Um, and so that is always the same as the original because that's under genetic control. However, white markings, there are a genetic by environmental result. And so the melanocytes that form um, white markings gravitate from the midline of the, of the fetus to the extremities through the course of treatment. And there are a lot of different theories for what pieces of environment particularly impact that. Some think it's temperature of the uterus, thinks it's the position of the fetus, et cetera. No one really knows for certain, but typically what happens is the foal has roughly the same amount of white markings or a similar amount of white markings to the original, but they can be quite different in different places. And so if he had two white front feet, um, he might have one front, one, one rear. Or um, if he had a star, he might have a strip um, because, again, there's a G by E, genetic by environment interaction going on there. The genetics of the foal are exactly is the same as the original, but those kinds of environmental things can be different. Okay, and that's where you really get into the uh, nature versus nurture conversation, too, is have, have we proven in any of the, the clones to be as to win as much as mom and dad, or, or haven't we gotten to that point? You know, we, we haven't gotten to that point. The only thing that we know for certain is that the breeding value of the cloned animal is going to be the same as the original, or and the original is a gelding the same as the original could have been had they been a stallion. So you know the breeding value, um, and, and that's the place that, again, as scientists, what we think is the clearest reason to clone an animal, clone a proven breeder, and, and you get a, a genetic copy of that animal. Um, in terms of performance, there is a, you know, if an animal is a superior performer, he likely got a, a tremendous genetic um, advantage, so he's got the right genotype for competition. But he also probably got a fortuitous dose of environment. 
And so what you're going to need to have to replicate that performance is, again, you know that you have the same genetic potential, but you obviously then have the life of the animal, well, from conception through the life of the animal to try to replicate the environment to have an animal with the same performance potential. We did have some um, of the top uh, cutting trainers um, in the United States produce cloned foals early on. In fact, some of those foals born in, in uh, 2006. And those um, fillies are now in training. And those trainers have been on record to say those foals are amazing and that they're um, strikingly similar to the originals. So we're still another year where we're getting hard data back on some of them. But I'm going to say that each and every animal, again, will get a slightly different dose of environment, and so there will be some of these that will prove to be as good or better than the original, and there will be others that performance-wise won't me measure up to the performance of the original. But their breeding value, however, will be the same. Will there be some some owners who go, well, you know, I don't want to risk. Is there some amount of risk to showing the horse and it not being very good at all? Is there some amount of risk to that? And then they go, well, I'm I'm not going to take the risk of showing. I'm just going to put them into breeding. Well, in fact, a great case of that in point, there's a famous 10-time world champion, a barrel racing horse by the name of Scamper. And the cloned Scamper, um, his name is Clayton. And uh, Charmaine James on her website discusses that very point. Scamper won the world 10 times. Clayton could go and win the world, let's say hypothetically, a couple of times. It's unlikely that any horse will ever win the world times in a row again. And Clayton would always be compared against the performance of Scamper. What she really cloned um, Clayton for was Scamper was a gelding, and those genetics were going to be lost for future opportunity. So Clayton, she's riding. She's gonna. He's a beautiful horse. He has all the attributes you'd look for in a barrel horse. But he's really been cloned to produce as a stallion, and so he's gonna be breeding mares. In fact, he uh, just turned two in August. They got a few breedings done on him in August. But as you know, horses you like to have in the spring, so they expect him to stand for a full book of mares in the spring. And I guess one of the arguments too is the genetic diversity, the whole inbreeding thing. And I, you know, I've read some about that where you know the concern is that it, it are we in fact inbreeding animals by cloning them in a way it can actually go either way and so um selective breeding um which we do you know across all species of animals um typically concentrates um the genetics in in, in the desirable manner right so we breed best to best what the result of that quite often is is our inbreeding coefficients go up um, by design. I mean, that's what we're trying to do is concentrate their genes. However, in the case of uh, the example of Scamper, there's a gelding that had all the attributes that we look for in a barrel racing horse, but was not able to pass his genes on to the next generation. Blake, I think that, too, one of the other arguments against it is is an unfair competitive advantage. And, and this one I sort of I sort of have feelings about. I think that the nature of horse sports and the, the reason that that came up is that it costs so much to do this. So basically the rich are able to do it. And I think you can follow the argument from there. I, my point of view is that's the case with anybody. I mean, you can have, you can't always afford to have your mare bred to an expensive stallion to begin with. So I, I you know, I don't, I don't know about that argument. I don't know if you have any comments on it, but so then it truly becomes a very rich person's advantage to this. 
Yeah, I, I do agree with you that that quite often, you know, the the, the wealthy participants have an advantage already. Um, I have seen some competition, particularly in show cattle, where where cloned animals and their offspring are a major um, part of that. Um, that there are um, rules and say that only one particular cloned animal of a particular genotype can be shown per owner per show. And, and that at least keeps someone from bringing multiple copies of the same animal and trying to dominate the outcome of a show. Um, people in horse sports tell me, and I'm a, an active uh, competitor in horse sports as well, but most people tell me that they believe that there's a significant piece of that that's rider that we do give up to the wealthy because they can purchase maybe the very best horses, but we each still believe that we have an opportunity to overcome some of that advantage by the relationship we have with our horse. Well, and I think also it allows, maybe, maybe, I'm not sure this is true, it allows people to be able to breed to a clone that they wouldn't normally have been able to do. Well, I think that is definitely proven to be true, and I, and I have a, a perfect example of that. I, You know, Clayton, the, the, the clone of Scamper, the great barrel horse, um, he's going to stand for $4,000. Um, there's a tremendous opportunity, and in the average horseman like me, to breed one of my great mares to a stallion like that and potentially have a son, horses of all time, where it wouldn't have been possible for me to, you know, they, they pay north of $100,000 quite regularly for those kinds of horses. I may have the opportunity to raise one of my own. Right, whereas the, uh, the donor there would have been much more expensive. Definitely. Right. So I think I agree with you on, on that one, that, that, that it is... Whether we like it or not, it is somewhat of, somewhat of a rich person sport at the top levels anyway. It is. I mean, it, it, they at least have an inherent advantage that most of us need to find ways to overcome if we want to be competitive. Right. So do you find that, that most of the people coming to you, and I know we talked about that a little bit earlier, but as a follow-up question, do you find that most of the people coming to you, they're, they're actually trying to clone geldings? We do have a, a significant number of geldings, and we also have a significant number of mares. I was going to ask what the ratio is there. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm just guessing off the cuff, but I'm going to say geldings and mares right now is about fifty-fifty. Oh. Now, or I should say forty-five, um, forty-five, because there is ten percent stallions that maybe the stallion was lost early in his reproductive life. Um, maybe the stallion was infertile. Um, and so many of our um, orders are for stallions, but the vast majority are, are evenly mixed between mares and geldings. For the process, from the time you take the sample, let's say, um, you've taken the sample now, it's in your lab, and the owner goes, okay, I want to do this. From that time, how long does it take for your part of the, to, to actually, till it gets in the recipient mare to carry the, the foal? So when the client signs a contract with me, I can overnight a biopsy kit to the horse that arrives the following day. Veterinarian takes the biopsy, and that kit is then overnighted back to my lab. It takes about two weeks for me to turn that biopsy into a cell line that then can be preserved into perpetuity. If the client wants to move cloning, then I can reconstruct embryos of that particular cell line, depending on the number of people waiting. But theoretically, if no one were waiting and had the slots already allocated, then I could do that the following week. The embryos are then transferred into a mare, and they have normal gestation. So it's really normal gestation plus about two weeks for me to produce a cell okay, line. So this isn't a long period of time at all. Correct. 
and and the way we the way we charge our clients is they pay 10% of the money up front, 10% when the recipient marries 120 days pregnant, and the final 80% they don't pay until their foal is 60 days of age, veterinary checked, healthy, insurable, genetically verified to be the same as the original, and then they can come and go on the merit 60 days of age, pay their money, and move on. Okay, so I was going to ask you if it's a life guarantee. Actually, it's a 60-day guarantee. It's uh, 60-day past the vet check and insurable. Okay, and then do, if if it if it is not for whatever reason, then do do they get a complete refund or they lose their deposits or they get a complete refund? Um, but funny enough, that's never happened. What they ask is, well, let's try again. Try again, and do, yeah. is it common to have to try again, or do do we have a ratio on that? It's um it's not common to go through an entire season and have to try again, but it is common that we have to make multiple attempts. To, um, to get one started. And so, again, we have about a 30, 25 to 30% success rate, um, but the majority of those failures never produce a pregnancy. Right, it okay. just never happens in the beginning. Correct. And so what we'll do is then we'll place a um, recipient mare with an embryo as soon as we prove that we didn't have a pregnancy. But, no, it's, it's typical. It's expected that the client's going to get a foal in the following year. Um, and, and our breeding season lasts from about the 1st of March until about the middle of October. And then mares aren't cycling, and it's very difficult to, to continue breeding. Can you say how, how many you do a year of horses? We, um, we have um, more than 75 horses right now due for foaling next year. I can say that. 75 in the oven? Correct. Okay, good. All right, so it's not a huge what I well, the point I'm trying to make is is one of the other things I had written down here that I saw as an objection to it is that it's going to flood the market with horses. We're not ta- we're not there at this point. Definitely not. This is only a technology to be applied to the very best horses. Why is and it so is, expensive? Um well, you're a horse person, correct? Yep. And yep. certainly your audience are. You understand that, you know, to um first off the technology was then we set up specialized labs, and we have very specialized scientists working with the technology. And then, of course, handling horses. As I said before, our providers, um, they have large numbers of horses, so we can have the right selection intensity and get the right ones. Um, these animals are gestated under constant care with a high-quality veterinarian and staff and fold. And I mean, as you can imagine, that gets of Most um, advanced reproductive technology in horses gets quite expensive. Yeah. So are you do you do other animals obviously? We do. We do uh, cattle and pigs as well. So I would assume cattle's the most popular for this? Um cattle and cattle and pigs are both. So depending on the definition of popular, if it's numbers, we yeah. do a few hundred cattle every year. Okay. Um and and that business is growing. And we do um a few hundred pigs and that and that business is growing as well. And so all three um businesses what happens is when someone gets a cloned animal of their great original, they typically get even more excited about the technology than they were when they contracted for it. And so they show their friends, they talk to people, and then that t- typically stimulates additional business. I mean, everywhere that cloned foal gets delivered, I get calls for weeks from the folks that came over to see that, and they're now interested in how to do the same thing with theirs. It's like eating at a good restaurant and telling all your friends about it. Exactly. Is there a factor in the age of the horse, the donor, horse there is not okay so it doesn't matter whether the donor horse is 24 or 5 
That's correct. And typically the horses that we're climbing from are older horses because those are the horses that have proven that they have a performance lifetime that was valuable, particularly if they were breeders, because it takes so long for a breeder to prove that, that they're a great breeder. The whole other conversation that we've talked touched on a little bit, it's the whole nature versus nurture. Obviously, I, I think I know what you're going to say, but I'll ask you anyway. How much of that do you think in the development of that foal and where he's truly going to end up in the end, 10 years down the line, is nature versus nurture? Which is the going to be the prominent, or is it is it just 50-50, some of both? Um, it's a great question, and I don't think science can accurately answer um, a great level of detail, and I think it's also very dependent upon the discipline um, that's chosen. So our environments for our top-level horses today are probably better than they were 20 years ago. And so one would hope that we're giving these animals an environmental opportunity to, um, you know, achieve their genetic potential. But again, there's there's a significant component of potential that is environmental nurture, and it's it's hard to estimate. Um, well, it's again, hard it to do because the, you would have to have the same exact training and the same everything to prove it one way or the other, right? Exactly. And yeah. and what we hear quite often from people that are cloning are that uh, you know their techniques are much better today than they were 20 years ago when they trained the original. Right. And so many of them think, well, I'll, I'll be better. I, again, I think that's a complex question, and they certainly have demonstrated that they have tremendous potential. But we're probably 20 years away from being able to say um, of which disciplines are the most effectively genetics and which ones require um, a big dose of environment. The one thing we know for certain is regardless of environment, the breeding value of the cloned animal is going to replicate time and time again. Right. And I would think, too, the other thing I see happening is as these clones start to get into start to get into competition, and if they do turn out to be winners, then it, the people that are losing to them are the ones that are going to create an uproar about this. Maybe. Uh, you, know, you know how competitive we all are. We yes. all want <laughs> So what kind of riding do you do, anyway? Well, I, I do a lot of different kinds of riding, but I'm an active uh, team roper. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, so I do a lot of Western sports. Yeah, well, you're in Texas, so. I am, That correct. kind of fits. <laughs> that correct. kind of fits. All right, I think we've covered a lot of territory here. Is there anything that, that you want to get out there, any additional message that you would want to put out? I, I think it's very important for people as they're forming their opinions um, about cloning, potential of cloning in their particular discipline to um, you know do, do the homework. Um, go and, and find someone that clone, take a look at the animal. Um, we, we certainly try to get around to the major shows, and we're trying to make more and more of the clones available for viewing. But very few people that actually invest the time in seeing them, thinking about this, walk away with um, strong negative. As you said, it's quite expensive. So a number of us just may not be able to actually um, clone our greatest horse, but we certainly can think about the possibility of breeding to one in the future. Right. And of course, the biggest objection that I have seen, and this is where I, I'm not sure how I feel about it, of course, is the moral side of things. Is it, is it right? Is it against God's will? Um, you know, and you can't answer that question, but but I think that that's the other side to this story that that you see most often in the in the, on the objection side. Can I answer that question as it relates to me? Sure. Because I do spend time thinking about those kinds of things, and as you know, and as probably know, in Genesis, I happen to be a Christian. Okay. Um, so so I I work from the Bible, and in Genesis, in dominion over the animals. 
Um, and because of that, we've had breeding programs for centuries, and every animal know today that's not in the wild is a result of those breeding programs. And we use artificial insemination and embryo transfer and a number of things to both feed the world more effectively as well as produce animals for companionship. Cloning is just a very precise breeding technology. Um, and so really it's just a continued step as we've been given the knowledge that it's no different than any of the other breeding technologies that we use, even natural mating, where I choose the stallion and I'm the mare. Natural mating in the wild is very different than right, that. Right. And so cloning really from a moral perspective in animals, I don't think it takes us to a whole new level that we've not already been on for centuries. And and quite often then I get the question, what about humans? Well we're not you know, we're not talking about humans here. I, I um, yeah, but I think that, that you know, everybody would say it's the whole slippery slope theory. It is, but I ate a hamburger yesterday. I'm not gonna eat a human tomorrow. There's a very clear line between animals and humans. That's and, a very effective. <laughs> you know, we were given dominion over the animals, not humans. And and so uh, to us as animal scientists, that's extremely clear line, and it's one we're not interested in crossing. Okay, well, that's that's good to hear. That was my next question is the whole slippery slope theory, uh, that that you once you go start going down this road, it's hard to stop. And that may be true, not of you, your particular company. That may be true of where another company or another or another group of individuals wants to take it, but that's not right. where you're going with it. And and that's really up to governments and and people that are making policy to make certain that we don't head that head down that path. Right. Well, I think this has been a very interesting conversation. I think you might have cleared up some of the myths that are out there, um, and I, I think that's a good thing. I think that we'll let people determine for themselves. Probably, I don't know if we've changed any minds one way or the other. Uh, people tend to have fe- strong feelings about subjects like these without a lot of knowledge, and hopefully we just gave them a little bit more knowledge to deal with. Well, it was a great pleasure, and, and uh, you know, I'm around uh, cloned animals every every week, and uh, it's just been a tremendous ride. So we enjoy the opportunity to share with anyone. And, and give your website are... and everything so people can read more about it. We are um, at viagen.com. So they can go on there and they can see um, certainly photos, videos, et cetera, of the cloned animals and learn more about our business. And there's also an opportunity to uh, contact our website, and I will be more than happy to personally answer any questions that are sent in via that website. All right, and we'll put those notes in our show notes so that people can get a hold of uh, you or or your company if, if they want to. Super. All right, thanks a lot, Blake. We appreciate it. It was a great pleasure, and have a great week. Well, we, I apologize a little bit for the uh, for Blake cutting in and out a little bit there. As I said, indicated, we were having some issues with the internet this morning. Hopefully, I can that'll be cleared up before we go into our second interview. Before we do that and dis- continue our discussion on cloning, I wanted to mention our friends at Easy Signs Online. We thank them for sponsoring the show. Easy Signs Online is one of the most unique websites utilizing an easy online step-by-step ordering process where you can choose the sign options you want and this can be a sign for your farm ranch business or home they do entrance signs magnetic vehicle signs barn signs stall signs vinyl banners outdoor signs all kinds of signs and the nice part is you do it all right at easysignsonline.com that's the letters easy and then signsonline.com So visit their website today or call them at toll-free 1-800-640-8180. That's 1-800-640-8180. 
We think that you'll enjoy the experience, and you'll have a brand new sign at the end of your farm driveway. Okay, we're back for the second part of our conversation on cloning, and to continue talking about it a little bit with Joss Mottershead, uh, who, along with his partner, Kathy St. Martin, operates equine-reproduction.com. Equine-reproduction.com offers short courses through throughout North America for horse breeders, veterinarians, and reproduction specialists. They also test new products associated with horse breeding, perform ongoing research in the field, and operate the largest website in the world devoted entirely to equine reproduction. And they recently opened an equine reproduction facility in Wynwood, Oklahoma, where they manage both mares and stallions for breeding and reproductive efficiency. Did I get that right, Joss? Pretty much, uh, yeah. The only thing is uh, equine reproduction, although it uh, does have a dash in there, is generally just equinereproduction.com. I know. I was just trying to get everybody to put it in there when they go look for it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, it's always a challenge. <laughs> I understand you're mobile right now, and, but we do have a pretty good connection so far. And I, uh, you did get to listen to the interview I had with Blake at Viagen. Yes, indeed. Okay, so what were your thoughts? What are your initial reactions? Now, you guys first. Let's start with this. You're in the equine reproduction business, not cloning. That's correct. Yeah, we, do, we don't clone. We're not involved in the cloning process. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Well, we do a fair amount of what have become um, pretty well commonplace advanced reproductive technologies, things like embryo transfer, semen freezing, uh, stuff like that we do. Uh, and that's in addition to the regular breeding programs of, uh, of artificial insemination, um, shipping semen cooled, uh, which is, is very much a standard in the industry now. Uh, in most portions of the industry, I should say, there's a couple of areas that uh, don't use those technologies, but the vast majority do. Right. So, Okay, so uh, how do you feel about cloning? And then we'll get into talking a little bit about what, what we talked about with Blake. I just basically consider it another technology for use in the reproductive field. Um, you know, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think it's a very practical use in, in some areas. Um, one looks at uh, whether it's needed in all areas, and I think as with all uh, assisted production uh, techniques, it's not necessary in all areas, but uh, it's certainly going to be of value in, in some areas. You know, the site, uh, site is a situation where you've got geldings, for example, that have suddenly gone on to perform well in competition and you lost those genetics and uh, with cloning you you gain the genetics back again um a chap over in england professor twink allen uh, many many years ago said that before you geld any horse you should free semen from him just in case uh well now we don't have to worry so much about that because we do have the potential for cloning which is a, a definite bonus yeah, and th- I threw about every objection I could come up with at him, and he handled them very well. <laughs> I mean, especially, you know, he even we even got into the religion issue, which I didn't think he would even want to go into, and I thought he did pretty well with that, too, actually. Yeah, I, I think it's something, you know, you, you have to look at pretty much. You're going to get the arguments for and against in all directions, and, and when you're in the industry that heavily, when you're deeply involved in the process— you have to be prepared to um, answer what you, you potentially can. And, and, yeah, he did very well. So what were your thoughts? What are your thoughts on, on the interview on cloning in general? Was there anything I missed that uh, we should go over? Um, the, the one thing I do feel we probably should mention, and that is that um, although the, the first uh, cloned horse was discussed, the first cloned equids, not a horse necessarily, um, were actually produced in 2003, and they, interestingly, were mules. 
Um, they were produced by uh, combined efforts of the University of Utah and Idaho, um, Drs. Van der Waal and uh, Woods. And uh, they produced uh, these cloned mules. And the cloned mules, of course, are interesting because mules, as a general rule, are infertile. So they have no way of reproducing. Right, right. Um, so they produced these three cloned mules, Idaho Jam, Idaho Star, and Utah Pioneer, who are uh, clones of a, a racing mule, uh, full sibling to a racing mule called Taz. And um, two of them did actually go on to race against each other a couple of years ago. And the, the great expectation was that uh, there would be a dead heat. You know, that's what everybody right. was hoping for. Right. Um, because uh, theoretically, that's so what they one should have got. But they were out of the same specimen. They were the, they were clones of they were both clones. Exactly. Yeah. What they actually did was they they um, bred Taz's Taz's sire and dam again. The racing mules sire and dam again and used um, uh, tissue from the embryonic material to produce the clones. Okay. So they were clones of a, a full sibling to the racing mule Taz. So they, they uh, went on to race these guys, and, and as I say, everybody was hoping for a dead heat. That would have been perfect. Unfortunately, uh, nature versus nurture very much came into play. Um, and uh, one of the jockeys on the night before the race went out on a bender, and uh, ended up apparently getting thrown in the slammer and was unable to ride that particular mule that day. So he had to put a ringer in for a jockey, and he didn't get on as well as the uh, regular rider, and, and they ended up uh, pretty much right at the front of the field and at the back of the field. They were split right down the middle. So uh, nature versus nurture always comes into play. It's going to be there no matter what. Well, and that's always been what I have said about it. I'm not, a, I'm not objected to cloning, and I kind of think they're going to end up Ultimately, with about the same result we would if you reproduce the the nature way. You know, I think it's just going to end up with about the same result because of the nature versus nurture. Well, yeah, there's always going to be that. You've got, you got the genetic potential there. That's the thing to realize. If you rebred the sire and dam of a great horse, there's no guarantee that that next full sibling is going to have the same genetic potential. Um, you know, because of just the way genes switch on or off, it, it always uh, has that possibility of not producing that effect in the next generation. But with cloning, you do have that genetic potential there because you've got an, ident- a, an identical genetic makeup in that next uh, animal. The question is whether the uh, environment turns on or off those um, various genes that can be switched on or off as a result of environmental variants. So, yes, there's always going to be a question, but there's maybe a little bit less of a question um, when you're dealing with a clone than if you deal with rebreeding the sire and dam to produce a full sibling. Do we have any idea with clones, you know, are they going to have problems later on? Like with, with you know, we have the, the breeding of the dogs and all of that. We're, we're now with the breeders and we're seeing health problems earlier than we would have normally seen because of the nature of the way they're breeding. Are we expecting to see any of that with clones or we just don't know yet? There's no expectation for it and there's no logical reason why one would see that. Um, if you're not seeing a genetic issue in the donor animal, there's no reason why you should see a genetic issue in the uh, in the clone. Um, so there's no logical reason why one would anticipate that, but especially with the case of the cloned equids, um, you know, none of them are particularly old at this stage of the game, so we don't have a definitive answer on that. But there's absolutely no reason why it should happen. So and there was a, anything. There's a rumor fly, flying around about Dolly the sheep, who was I, was that the first cloned animal, Dolly? 
No, we actually cloned uh, mice way back in the 1950s. There's been uh, cloning from a long, long way back. Um, the, the first, uh, with, with Dolly, the, she was the first adult cell cloning. Um, and the, uh, actually, Dolly's death was not related specifically to the cloning process. It wasn't something that came about as a result of the cloning process. She died of, of uh, a natural problem. Um, not something related to cloning. So that's actually a, 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 an incident myth, a mythology, if you will. Okay, I thought I thought that might be the case. She actually died of a disease that I think it was in the lungs that sheep get all the time. That's correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. So where do you see cloning going from here? What do you see happening? Oh, I think it'll be used as a, a, a breeding technique, if you will. There's no two ways about that. It's out there, it's available. Um, we're going to see it being used more and more, as uh, as we said yesterday. I think it's 75 um, cloned foals due this year, um, so that's up dramatically from um, the uh, four or five that were produced a couple of years ago. You know, so we're already seeing an up, uphill swing on it. It's never going to be, um, you know, sort of thousands and thousands produced every year. It's not going to, I don't think, be as popular well, the, as embryo the, transfer. The price is going to prohibit that, I think. Exactly, exactly. So um, just as and, a comparison, you know, just as a comparison here, hold that thought. What is the, we, he indicated it's $150,000 to clone a horse. Like, you do an embryo transfer, what's that run? So just as a comparison. Um, it depends a little bit on, on how it's set up. But if you produce your own um, animals for the uh, donor recipient mares, then uh, you can actually get away with under $2,000 by the time you get the breeding in and, and um, everything all in together. Um, if you're having to uh, use a, a recipient mare belonging to the uh, facility that's been the embryo transfer, then obviously there's a charge for that on top as well. But uh, comparatively speaking, it can be you know, considerably cheaper. And, and that is an interesting point because when embryo transfer first started off, uh, you were typically looking at five to ten thousand dollars for an embryo transfer program, um, but now uh, you're looking at considerably less. So the market um, demand has reduced the cost, and I'm sure that will happen to some extent with embryo tra- uh, with uh, cloning, but I don't think to the same extent because well, I, I think you, it would, it's a lot more specialized. Yeah, and it would require, I think, Viagen to get some serious competition. Is there any of that out there now? They, right now, he indicated they're the only ones in the United States even doing it. Um, there, well, Dr. Vanderwaal up at uh, University of Idaho has been offering commercial cloning, I believe. Um, but uh, I don't think they've actually got a cloning program on the go at the moment. They had, I believe they did some work last year. Um, but uh, typical university setting, they're always short on funding. Right. Um, so that's, uh, that's always a problem in that situation. They'd hope to get more out of the private sector, but to the best of my knowledge, they haven't at this point. But uh, you'll, you'll see, I'm sure... Um, some uh, other programs and other companies starting to do it. Which breed or discipline do you see using it the most and become the most interested in it? Uh, well, well, I don't think we'll ever see it in thoroughbreds just because they're so strict about everything they do. At least, Yeah, the- that, that, that was kind of the way I was going to go at it. It was more a matter of where you're not going to see it. And I would almost certainly say that in my lifetime, it would be surprising if you saw it in the thoroughbred industry. I mean, that just for, um, for people that don't know, they don't even allow. I mean, you have to do live cover to with thoroughbreds. Exactly. Yeah. 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 There's not even AI permitted in right. the thoroughbred industry. It's a totally dark ages viewpoint, but uh, I guess that's another topic for another day. Right. <laughs> so you think you'll see it on the western side more than the English side, or both? 
No, I think you'll see it on both. I don't think there's any reason why it'll be one more than the other. Okay, and I think that uh, in what he indicated with his conversation with the associations is they'll they'll start to come around here very quickly, I I believe. Well, I think market demands it. Um, and, and an interesting point as well that wasn't raised yesterday, uh, and this is something that we on the website have, uh, have held to since the original inception of cloning in the equine, and that, that is that a registry not recording these clones in some way is actually not serving the best interests of its membership. Uh, as I said, we have no expectation that there's going to be any problem with the clones, none whatsoever. Um, but in the event that there were a problem down the road, uh, if you're not recording these animals as a registry, then you have no way of tracking potential offspring. Now, this becomes particularly important in the case of male offspring um, and uh, because the DNA in the male clones and the offspring of the male clones are going to be uh, identical to that which is seen in um, the offspring from the original donor animal. So, for example, if you've got a cloned male and you freeze semen from that cloned male and you breed a mare with that semen, the resulting offspring will have exactly the same DNA as an offspring from the original donor animal. There's no way to differentiate between the two. Okay. Now, as a breed registry, if you've got stallion X, if we want to call them, or perhaps stallion Y might be better, um, you call them stallion Y, you breed to them, and uh, you have offspring. Well, stallion Y is 28 years old, and stallion Y drops dead. But there's a clone to stallion Y. And a breed registry has said, well, no, we're not going to register clones. So they haven't cloned, they haven't registered the clone. But stallion Y is still standing around in the barn, and uh, they collect semen from stallion Y, and they breed mares. Well, there's absolutely no way for the registry to differentiate those offspring from um, the uh, clone of stallion Y uh -huh. as opposed to the uh, uh, stallion Y himself. So a registry that doesn't record in any way, shape, or form the, uh, the clones um, is potentially going to be open to abuse in that type of a situation. So what we've recommended from, from early on in the cloning issue is that a breed registry, all breed registries, should register the clones with an identical number to the original donor animal, plus a suffix. So 12345A, 12345B, 12345C, whatever. And at the same time as the registration, the animal has to be... Um, the animal has to be microchipped. And uh, any work that involves a record, be it performance, be it breeding, whatever, involving those animals, the microchip has to be read and which animal it is needs to be identified. And that way, you've got a paper trail, if you will, identifying just exactly what animal it was that was the, uh, was the originating uh, genetic material, whether it was the donor, uh, original donor, or whether it was the uh, clone animal. And I think that's very important. I think we need to see that happening. Isn't it interesting? I never even thought about that, but isn't it interesting that the more technology we get, there is the more opportunity for abuse, uh, new uh, new types of opportunity for abuse of a system? Oh, ab absolutely. You know, there's a, and, and people that are going to abuse the system are going to do it no matter what, you know. So right. 
for for saying, well, we're not going to register clones, so it's not going to be a problem. That's just burying your head in the sand and taking the ostrich point. That leads approach. that leads another to another question. If you have the clone as a stallion, can you register the offspring of that stallion? If the stallion's well, a clone, it, it, that you know that if the stallion himself is not registered, then uh, who knows? <clears throat> the uh, the interesting point is going to be where uh, the European registries, for example, some of the warm blood registries. Uh, they require performance testing on stallions. So if you have um, a, an international show jumper, for example, that is a stallion that is approved, um, has gone through his performance testing, um, and uh, is breeding and producing, and then they clone him, does that clone automatically get stallion approval? Because the genetic uh, input is essentially right. the same. Right. Even though the animal hasn't gone on to do the uh, performance testing. So that, that'll be an interesting question that will have to be reviewed. How, how are the Europeans? Are they registering right now clones? Or? Well, Zangazide yeah, is, is registering clones. They've got a clone registry. Um, so uh, the, uh, the initial clones over in Europe performed by CryoZootech. Um, they're all being registered with Zangazide, so that that is in ongoing already. It's it's operational. So even if they were still resisting a little bit, what what you're really saying is there even if they registered them as a separate section of clones, at least then there's a way to track them. Exactly, exactly. You're not losing you're not losing the record. You've got a tracking system in place. Well, uh, it is interesting what technology can do and what it leads to. It's the same way with computers and viruses and the whole other thing. It just offers an opportunities that you had never thought of before for fraud that you have to deal with. Well, uh, here's another opportunity for you to consider as well that um, it isn't, uh, wasn't raised yesterday and often people aren't aware of. And that is there's more to cloning um, all species, but especially the equine, um, than just simply reproducing an animal. And that is a better understanding of cellular technology. Um, horses uh, get melanoma. Gray horses get a melanoma, skin cancer. But they don't die from it. It's a fairly common problem with uh, gray horses, but they don't die from it. The humans, of course, do. Um, horses do not get um, prostate cancer. Why not? And as an adjunct to the research with the uh, clone mules, um, they were looking at some questions relating to um, the cancer issues that are not seen in the equine, but are seen in uh, the human, and specifically in that case, of course, the melanoma and the prostate cancer. And one of the things that they did find in connection with the uh, cloned mules was that in order to get a better success rate, they needed to increase the uh, calcium levels involved in the cloning process compared to the calcium levels found in the cellular content in, in the human, for example. Okay. So is that part of the reason why we see um, a, uh, a difference in the cancer rates in between humans and equines? Uh, we don't know at this stage of the game, but it is something that was being looked into, which is rather interesting. And, I, you know, always with this kind of research, good things come about that you were not expecting. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, there's more to it than I just mean, NASA uh, reproducing the animal. That. NASA was the biggest proof of that that we've ever had. All the things that have come out of NASA that were byproducts of, of the space program. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I mean, there's, there's, there's a huge amount of research going on in different directions. It's, 
very rare that you'll get one specific research project looking at one thing. And, you know, most commonly you'll find there's a bunch of little research projects going on as satellite projects, if you will. And that's certainly the case with cloning. Well, I think that I appreciate you being on today. I think you've clarified a lot of things and added uh, to the conversation. And it's still, you know, people are still going to decide for themselves. But I think at least in the last hour, hopefully they've gotten more facts than they had before to make an educated uh, decision about how they feel about cloning in general. I hope so. The misunderstandings and the misconceptions and, and the mythology behind the cloning, I think, is, is a large part of the problem that's seen with it. Um, just a lack of understanding of the whole process and what it's all about. And I think the people who are most heartfelt about it, as, as I discussed with Blake, are, 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 are the religious who are concerned about the slippery slope. And, you know, his argument about the hamburger was <laughs> very effective and caught me a little off guard. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a very good one. I, I hadn't heard that one before. Yeah, me either. I, it really did catch me a little off guard. Uh, but you know, you know, his point was well taken. However, you know, I think that my point is legitimate too. Is that you know, just because Viagen may not be dabbling in that doesn't mean others will not. Um, and that, you know, that's where he came back and said legislation, you know, is the thing that's going to need to control that. And he's right. He's right. Oh, Unfortunately. Over in England, they have it more strictly regulated than in North America. They, um, Dr. Allen, Professor Allen, uh, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, he, he had looked into doing some cloning work a few years ago and had to jump through amazing ho- hoops to get uh, permission to do the uh, cloning work on, on the horse. Well, and you uh, the know, fact is, though, that I mean, it's out there. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to do it somewhere along the line. So, and if somebody wants to go down that slippery slope and and go into the cloning of humans, they're just going to do it in a country that they can get away with it. That's all they're going to do. It's, exactly, it's yeah. going to happen anyway. Right. You know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So, right. well, I certainly appreciate you being on with me, and I know we're going to have some shows next year on on uh, just regular reproduction, not cloning, and uh, if. I hope that you consider coming back and spending some more time with us. Love to. Be super. All right. Thanks again. We certainly appreciate both our guests being on with us today. I think it was very enlightening and very insightful. I hope that it helps you to formulate your thought processes on cloning and what's involved and what the ethics of it are. All the topics, really. I I know it did help me. I found this to be one of the most fascinating shows I've done in two years. And I'm sure that Helena was sad that she could not be here. I know that she really wanted to uh, she really wanted to express her feelings on cloning during this show, which I think uh, she did in the last show that we discussed it. So I am sorry that she was not here. I hope I covered for her and brought up. She had written down a lot of her objections. I hope I brought them up, and and she also, I'm sure, will be listening to this show. We will both see you, Helena B. and I, next week as we discuss the economy and what you can do in your horse business to get creative, to build your business in hard times, and to not lose your shirt and be one of those people who are going out of business. So we're going to talk about that with some uh, some of the top leading experts in the industry next week. All of the show notes, the addresses, the email addresses for Viagen and for all the other websites that we talked about today and equine-reproduction.com will be on our show notes at stablescoop.com. You can also send us feedback. We'd like to hear how you feel about cloning, whether you thought there was more questions we should have asked, what your, what your opinions were, and you can send us a voicemail at 270 
270-803-0025. That's 270-803-0025. Or you can email us at geeks, G-E-E-K-S, at horseradionetwork.com. So we'd like to thank our sponsor, Easy Signs Online, for being with us, and we will see you again next week with The Scoop.